we're, so we're talking about a, a completely networked um, operating environment from, from seabed to space. A single ship or a single um, aircraft or a single unit on the ground that does not have the whole picture. To put a weapon onto a target over the horizon that they have not sensed themselves. That whole idea is rapidly, I think, coming into the battle space from a joint perspective. And that, I think, is what um, folks are trying to get at when they talk about multi-domain operations. Hello and welcome to Password123, a cyber podcast produced by UNSW Canberra. In this podcast, we explore a range of topics from the world of cyber and speak to some of the most influential figures in the InfoSec community. My name is Tom Sear and I'm an industry fellow at UNSW Canberra Cyber at the Australian Defence Force Academy. I'm here with uh, Vice Admiral uh, Paul Madison, retired. Uh, Paul is the former Canadian Chief of Navy and High Commissioner to Australia and uh, He's the inaugural director of the uh, UNSW Defence uh, Research Institute, uh, which he's sort of getting the ball, getting a startup going essentially um, here at UNSW, uh, centred at UNSW Canberra, but operating across the whole institution. Um, so Paul has 37 um, years in the Canadian military and he's had a command in uh, 2011 and he was High Commissioner to Australia between 2015 and uh, 19. So maybe, how did you, if we work backwards, how did you even end up in Australia? So why did you jump off at this port? Yeah, great, great questions. <laughs> um, so look, um, full disclosure, I'm married to an Australian. So um, met my wife uh, on a blind date during a port visit in Hong Kong um, back in the early 80s. And uh, we raised a, f- a family uh, in, in Canada um, while I was... Um, she was the strength behind the uniform, um, a girl from Darwin, so uh, found herself uh, standing on a uh, you know front porch in, in Halifax in January in two feet of snow with uh, with a baby while I was sailing off uh, to, to do the business for Canada, and um, uh, just a remarkable woman, uh, and um, she she often would say to me, um, you know, Paul. Um, can you get an exchange posting to Australia? It'd be great to actually see my family from time to time. And um, I did submit those requests. Uh, they never happened. Uh, other things happened. And um, uh, But at the end of the day, uh, I, I retired uh, from the Navy uh, in 2013. Um, and out of the blue uh, came an invitation um, uh, f- from uh, the office of the Prime Minister to return to public service Um uh, as High Commissioner to Australia, uh, an incredible opportunity to serve Canada here in Australia, and and personally an opportunity um, to to live here uh, and uh, discover more about Australia, and for our children to really um, embrace uh, half of who who they are and where they've come from, and one thing led to another, um, and as my term uh, as High Commissioner was. Um, I, you know, coming up, um, uh, th- th- this amazing opportunity to join a, an extraordinary team at UNSW uh, came came up, and, and here I am. So obviously, you, you've been well trained in the the ways of Australian culture um, through your partner. So that's a good thing to see. Yeah, um, I, d- I didn't require language training before I came here. Oh, so you know all the slang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, how would you describe the differences or and the similarities between our two countries? I guess is 
your wife would say there's no not much ice hockey in Darwin. I don't think. Um, yeah, so uh, sports is a huge difference, but uh, um, the similarities are are profound. And um, you know, uh, you know, John Blackstone wrote a book called Strategic Cousins, and uh, that kind of uh, says says it all. Um, a common uh, cultural uh, European. Um, immigrant uh, background, um, Westminster um, parliamentary systems, uh, same head of state uh, in a constitutional monarchy, um, large, um, resource-rich, mostly empty um, uh, countries, um, very important uh, relationships with our first peoples, um, uh, have built the most successful, diverse multicultural, multi-ethnic countries in the world um, as medium powers and open trading nations. We rely on a rules-based, free and open uh, trading system. Uh, we believe in uh, d democracy, freedom of choice. Um, all of what that rules-based order has come to uh, guarantee since uh, the Second World War. And uh, we both share um, critical strategic relationships with um, the great powers of the day, the United States and, uh, and and China, and all of what that means, and at the end of the day, um, in Australia and in Canada, when it comes to public policy um, development, uh, the two countries have no greater comparators than one another, and so there's great value in Canada and Australia um, working together to to solve common challenges across the policy space, um, uh, and. When it comes to defense, um, as one example, um, we have, uh, we're interoperable, we have uh, served and fought and fallen together uh, since the Boer War. Um, we both almost, uh, we, we both characterize our nations as, as having come of age um, in the crucible of combat in World War I, where um, General Monash um, established uh, independent Australian command of the Australian Expeditionary Forces, as did General uh, Sir Arthur Curry in Canada. Um, and, and, and we just have common narratives uh, through the 20th century, through the design of the 20th century. We were both active as young nations at the Treaty of Versailles, um, shaping the League of Nations, and, um, and we played... Um, uh, critically important roles in World War II uh, in, in Korea. Um, Canada did not participate in Vietnam uh, the way um, Australia so uh, profoundly did. Um, and then we've been active together um, in the Middle East since uh, Gulf War I, um, especially uh, in Afghanistan, um, in contact with the Taliban. A, a lot of... Um, um, operational and tactical collaboration um, with between special forces, um, uh, especially. Um, so, so there's there's a great bond, uh, a great um, strategic commonality between Australia and Canada. Um, uh, differences, um, uh, fundamentally, it's geography. Um, uh, Canada uh, in North America with the longest. Um, quote-unquote, uh, undefended border in the world with the United States, um, that geography brings a certain um, flexibility to, to how taxpayers uh, in, invest, how, how policymakers uh, prioritize. Here in, um, 
this part of the world, Australia as an island continent, um, at the the center of the uh, the vortex of strategic um, uh, competition, perhaps, um, I think has a a more pragmatic and a more um, urgent uh, strategic view um, on uh, what are the factors that um, fundamentally guarantee Australian uh, economic growth and prosperity and what are some of the challenges that uh, are, are emerging in the region and, and, and globally. Um, but at the end of the day, um, when we look at the return of great power um, competition, um, both Canada and Australia are uh, deeply affected and, and equally concerned um, about some of the challenges we're facing. And let's talk about some of those challenges. So, and how do you, as the as the director of the UNSW Research Defence Research Institute, um, how do you take uh, what we might frame as the challenges for nations of like the scale of Australia and Canada and their and their geographies? How do you take from your understanding and, and your career in exploring some of those challenges? How do you then translate those into a research environment? sounds like quite a bit of a challenge to go from like this big picture down to like oh how do we redesign research at the nitty-gritty um front line right. to um to shape it into something that you know is going to be in an era of strategic competition and yeah. you know so recapitalization loops how do we right. get it out there i mean that's what do you think about that sort of problem yeah um, great question um the the big the, the big picture does matter because um, uh, I, I think we are um, increasingly um, looking to find ways to apply all instruments of national power um, to um, s- securing our national interests. And um, so um, it, it's... it's if, if we go back to the early 90s and, and the um, you know 1989 the uh, the collapse of the of the uh, the Berlin Wall um, and the um, the aspiration the global aspiration that was expressed over a few years of, of uh, the, the post Cold War peace dividend um, uh, that allowed I think uh, a, a sense of strategic complacency perhaps to develop in, in some places. Um, but I, I think that um, aspirational view has has unfortunately kind of gone by by the wayside, uh, given what happened in the former Yugoslavia, what happened uh, in the development in the, in the global war on terror, uh, what happened, uh, you know, what, what what continues to develop as as the great uh, strategic sort of pressures globally, and so um, I think. The, the the upside of that is that all sectors, um, public, private, corporate, academic, um, um, are coming to the uh, realization that everyone has a role to play, a, a, a constructive nation-building, nation-securing role to play in guaranteeing the fundamental rights and freedoms that we in the West um, have assumed are, are the birthright of our of our kids and grand grandkids. So, um, if, if, if that assumption is, 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 uh, uh, correct, then, um, it becomes easier then to 
to drill down to defense as a as a whole of nation uh, piece, and uh, defense research um, as a fundamental um, uh, enabler of um, t- taking uh, brilliant minds, ideas, uh, teams, um, and uh, harnessing their theoretical and, and applied r- research talent to um, either um, helping solve identified problems that have been brought forward by defense or um, b- bringing new uh, innovative ideas forward uh, that will lead to um, uh, the development of new capability that uh, will help the future uh, joint combatants um, and deal with a rapidly transforming um, battle space. Uh, so, so I think the demand signal for new capability, new ways of doing business, new ways of organizing um, uh, forces, um, a whole of you know joint, uh, combined, uh, interagency, um, uh, expeditionary forces uh, to deal with this r- rapidly evolving um, way of of, of uh, military operations uh, um, is um, pulling f- for more um, uh, more research output, and that's why um, at UNSW um, the university has has clearly identified defense as a, pr- a priority um, of research focus. Um, and although there's already an extraordinary uh, amount of of uh, great work um, being done, um, um, you know, theoretical research being turned into um, um, uh, real applied um, um, capability uh, for the ADF, um, uh, th- there's more that can be done. And yeah, it's it's interesting that you sort of uh, mentioned uh, like the arc of history or the arc of recent history there and refer to sort of going back to 1989 and Fukuyama, like history is over. Um, it's all going to be peaceful and the internet will be, take care of everything and we'll have, um, uh, uh, I guess, that the sort of the Western democratic model would just gradually eke its way across the globe. Uh, and then as you've suggested, what we've seen is uh, the threat of terrorism, um, sort of very low-tech insurgent um, small wars, uh, the emergence of an increasing nationalism, the breakdown of nation states, which actually, you know, facilitated quite hot wars in some parts of the world, um, persistent kind of grey operations and and uh, proxy wars, um, and I guess like why we've been dealing with that arc in the over that period. What's happened is that research and technology has now been continuing in in that in the sense that preparing for this where we are now in strategic competition, um, and now we're suddenly confronted with a new uh, challenge, which is um, technological in some ways, in both in the way it's occurred and the, the way that the, the threat functions, I guess, or the competition functions, um, but also the way in which, like, uh, like in terms of research, uh, just looking at research into research, like um, if you look at, say, medical um, uh well, if you look at basic the the, the the cycle from basic research to, um, you know, someone in a lab with a crazy idea mm. to like it being utilised on the battlefield, 
um, like in terms of university research, the cycle is typically about, it's considered to be about 17 to 30 years, somewhere around that. So you sit and you say you look at CRISPR or a technology like that where, say, gene snipping or something, it's just a couple of wonks sitting in a lab in you know, 1985, but it takes 20 to 30 years before it can actually be applied to, to humans. And I guess in terms of the historical loop you're discussing there from 1990 to the present, um, it seems like now one of our challenges is, in terms of research, how do we close the loop and make it quicker? So, um, and that's probably, you know, you've probably been, the rector's probably said, you need to start doing this now. But of course, research is, is much, it's, typically good research is kind of a bit slow. There's breakthrough moments, but uh, how do you see the, the challenge? I mean, the United States do it with, you know, you know it's with companies do it with like Skunk Works or um, some sections of DARPA are sort of, the crazy end of DARPA or um, they might explore ideas like that. I mean, how do you think we should be structuring our, it's a long question, but how do you think we should be structuring our research to sort of speed up the loop? So, um, you know, I've been going around visiting the heads of school, the heads of uh, centers like uh, space, cyber capability systems. Um, uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm not the expert on, 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 on how f folks have grown up in a research ecosystem where, um, you know, grants, um, uh, citations, teaming, um, yeah, how you work those relationships, how you work defense and, 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 um, and f f find the funding. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm c rapidly coming up to speed on that, but, but what I do know in intuitively is that we we need to add a sense of urgency, and 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 the the sense of urgency needs to be on both sides of that equation. There, there needs to be, um, I think, um, a, a heightened uh, sense of urgency around the demand, and a uh, a more um, urgent approach to uh, driving um, research through the cycle um, to meet that demand, um, and. Implied in that is um, f finding ways to um, beat back the process uh, and, and bring agility um, and uh, you know to to, to 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 break down identify and break down some of the impediments. I mean it, to, to, to 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 getting through the various hoops of delivering capability. I mean it's easy to say that, um, and uh, and it's but but as you've as you've said it's. Um, it's it's hard, but, but there are folks out there, um, and you know the U.S. Um, remains, uh, in my view, um, the, the world's um, most turbocharged um, innovation culture, and there we need to continue to look hard at, um, at at what the universities and the labs, and and the services are are doing in in the United States, and and. Uh, um, What's some, like, some examples of where you think it's really, really worked really well um, in your travels? Um, well, you know, with, with, with the U.S.? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Well, you know, um, the thing about the U.S. is they do everything uh, to, to, to scale and, uh, in, 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 in a way that uh, in Australia and Canada it's, um, and, yeah, it, it's, it, it's difficult. So, so they, yeah. can, 
they can really throw uh, resources, uh, human capital and and financial capital at a, at a big problem. They can put folks in a in a big shed and 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 and, and just drive towards a deliverable because the requirement's been identified. Um, you know, DARPA continues to be um, an an amazing um, vehicle of innovation. Uh, relationships with like Lincoln Labs and and uh, Johns Hopkins and and uh, Rand and um, and and the way the services are um, uh, are trying to get out ahead of their own problems. So recently, um, I met um, the commanding general of U.S. Army Futures Command. Uh, he's just established uh, his command in uh, Austin, Texas. You might have met him at the uh, oh, yeah. at, at the conference and. Um, and and his mission is 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 um, sort of blue sky. Um, n- n- nothing's a bad idea. Um, surrounding himself with really smart folks, uh, with very um, um, strong, well-funded links to various universities and and, and labs, and um, knowing that um, you know great power competition uh, c- could lead to. Um, could conflict, um, a, a real sense of urgency around how do we attract, train, um, employ, recognize, uh, re- redeploy um, the soldier of the future, and and how does that um, how does that soldier have the skills to deal with um, the the pace at which the environment will unfold, the um, extraordinary. Um, uh, amount of information coming from um, a fusion of sensors from seabed to space. Uh, how will that soldier be um, cognitively equipped to deal with um, augmented intelligence, with uh, machine learning uh, decision support? Um, uh, you know, it, um, it, it, these are big challenges. What does what does that future look like? So, um, it's sort of a sci-fi. Is it a sci-fi picture of a soldier on a, like a human on a battlefield? Um, augmented with, uh, uh, I guess, tech to make them physically stronger, cognitively, new sphere, you know, augmented, uh, uh, sort of integrate. Like, they're a data point in themselves in the battle space. Um, like, what else? What does that future look like? Or what do we think it'll look like? Um, I, I think it does look a lot like what you've just said. And um, I, I remember reading once that if a human being can imagine something, then... Uh, it will be, it, and uh, what what I saw as you know pure science fiction uh, thirty years ago is is now you know out in the field. It's it's, uh, it's just extraordinary to see. Um, but you know when you look at the technology that's coming or that's here, um, it's uh, it, it, it's many will say that that. This technology, the Internet of Things, um, artificial intelligence, and machine learning, um, all has the uh, ability and potential t- to uh, raise uh, mankind up, to um, bring greater um, equity of wealth, um, to bring knowledge and educational opportunity, and, and, and all of the good things, all of the... Um, you know, a, a brighter future for us all. Um, on the other hand, um, 
human nature seems to suggest that there will always be folks looking for ways to leverage um, new knowledge to disadvantage um, other human beings, whether it's transnational crime, whether it's um, um, a um, authoritarian uh, state look, looking to expand its um, its strategic reach. Um, you know, it, it's it's all there. And at the, at the end of the day, um, I, I think the future battle space um, will it'll never rest. It, it'll never be a finite sort of um, future. Transformation will will continue at at greater and greater pace. And I, not notwithstanding. Um, that the promises of, of some of the tech that that's being developed, um, I, I think that ambiguity, I think that uh, disruption, I think that fog, um, uh, will, will continue um, to, to characterize uh, the future battle space, and so the challenge will, I think, continue to be, how does the Joint Coalition uh, Expeditionary Commander and his team uh, distill the um, decision quality information from all of the noise that really matters, um, and how uh, can he or she apply that um, across the spectrum of operations to disrupt an adversary, whether it's kinetically, whether it's through information warfare, whether it's through electronic warfare. Um, that's at, 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 and and at a speed that I think um, uh, w- will um, exceed human cognitive uh, capacity. Uh, so, so we're that's what we're rapidly driving towards, and and uh, I, I I think there's so much opportunity uh, in 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 all of that f- for the research community um, t- to. Uh, find uh, new sort of enabling ways uh, to deal with that huge and, and wicked problem. And, and uh, s- some of these solutions are, are going to emerge through, um, you know, the aha moments in labs, you know, the, the dual use um, applications that will emerge. And, and, I, and I think uh, as I go around uh, talking to researchers who may be focused on um, a, a, a medical application or on a advanced materials or impact dynamics or involved in in uh, um, solving some of the you know space situational awareness problems I mean there's so many examples um, they, they may not as their fir- sort of first point of departure in the lab or in their teams um, be thinking defense be thinking security be, be thinking and enabling the warfighter um, but I I think it's important to, to 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 keep getting that message out that um, whether you're a researcher in a lab or, or whether you're the chief of the defense force, um, everybody um, has some responsibility for um, making choices uh, that uh, will strengthen and support um, the fundamental national security of Australia. And what, and what are that? What message messages in that area? You think do you think work well? Have you found have been persuasive uh, in terms of increasing the the awareness of um, 
a how research might be better integrated into defence or uh, how there might be more ur- sense of urgency, I suppose. Like certainly in universities, you know, uh, we like to move somewhat slowly. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, what what messages come across? Do you think are persuasive to people about? Um, apart from across academics, always like citations and funding. Mm. Um, what other things might um, encourage people to think a little more laterally about their research to some extent? Um, so, so I, I uh, you know, it's early days for me yet, Tom. So, you know, I haven't actually been pounding the desks and 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 uh, and, and and making these sorts of. Uh, or attempting to make these sorts of persuasive arguments, yeah. but my, my focus over the I've been in the uh, university now for three weeks, so my my focus has been really um, learning as much as I can, getting to know the people. At the end of the day, it's all about the people, and and understanding w- what it is that um, they wish to achieve for the university, and and then through their work f- for their you know g- the greater community, you know, writ large, um, and how. Uh, I, as as uh, the director of the Defense Research Institute, um, can can be an, an enabler for them, um, help identify and generate opportunities for them to team with, um, not just across defense but uh, industry and with our with our allies. So, um, I'm not quite sure yet w- w- what um, is the best way uh, to make that persuasive argument. Um, at the end of the day, it's a bit of a values. Um, um, discussion and of course when you get into a values discussion um you know that's um you you're you're into a personal kind of choice piece and you know that's what democracy is all about um so i I think i i'm not expecting uh um everyone to sort of uh, leap forward and and uh, want to dedicate um their professional lives to um supporting uh our our defense and security intelligence forces um, but but i i do think that it's it's a conversation that we need to continue to have uh given um how the design of this 21st century seems to be um unfolding and i think um at, at the end of the day um more and more um uh great work will come towards uh, solving some of these problems and and let's not um, uh, um, ignore the possibility that uh, there may be disruptive strategic events that uh, occur that are sort of unanticipated um, th- that will fundamentally um, uh, focus everyone's attention um, on on um, how to collectively solve some pretty significant um uh, challenges, you know, uh, going forward. Where do you where do you perceive those disruptive events? I mean, you will have a far greater strategic insight into, um, I guess, the, the Pacific um, as a geostrategic region um, in terms of wh- like what type of disruptive events could we be? I mean, uh, we're talking about imagination and how we consider things. Like, I think it's hard for some people, or for me certainly, to consider how what might be a disruptive event, like. I guess things come out of the blue. That's what disruption is. You didn't expect it. So then how do you begin to... I mean, I'm just where I'm going is like some of your... Maybe it's a way of thinking as well that, that you might bring to this um, uh, position, either in terms of the foreseeing disruption and persuading 
in, in that sense or planning um, for um, planning to counter that like like for example on the weekend you were you were you were tweeting about I guess back to the Blacksland model of strategic what was his position about strategic cousins was it or no yeah so, uh, yes strategic cousins Canada right. and Australia yeah so like you're talking about um, is there a capacity for uh, to for say I mean procurement and capitalization uh, for countries as we were talking earlier about the size of, of the scale of Australia and and um, Canada, sort of, it's hard for us to to design big procurements um, and to build big items. And ships are the, probably the the biggest objects we have to build. And you were talking about the capacity for, say, Canada and Australia to build a like to maybe I didn't quite understand it. Build the base of a ship. And then we just uh, throw the tech onto it, right? So, 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 new way of saying, or the systems on top of the, is that like, right? So, so um, I, I guess what you're, you're getting to is is um, countries like Australia and, and Canada um, uh, c- cannot go it alone, and and so I mean w- our our prosperity I- is guaranteed through alliances um, and a rules based order, checks and balances. Um, a, a trading system where you can, um, it's competitive and and there's there's competition, uh, well, uh, there, there's there, there's conflict in that in that um, system, but there are ways that you can challenge it and and it can be arbitrated and you know and we all sort of play by the rules, um, but we do that together. And uh, uh, when it comes to developing capability uh, for defense forces. Um, I think interoperability is, is absolutely key, and, and we've seen um, uh, interoperability between Australian, Canadian, UK, New Zealand, uh, and and obviously American forces um, it, um, increase substantively um, over the, I'd say, the last um, 25 years, um, d- driven in many cases by a, um, a gradual but significant um, understanding by American um uh, leaders, that it is in the American national interest to see uh, Australian, Canadian, and other Allied forces um, more interoperable, so that um, they can be more effective in in a coalition setting. So, to go to your example of um, the uh, the Type Twenty Six frigate that Australia has, uh, the, the the future frigate. So Australia will build nine uh, from BAE Systems in in Adelaide. Canada will build fifteen. Um, in in Halifax, um, and the UK I think is building um, seven or eight, and e- e- there's even talk about the Americans uh, looking at a Type 26. Although um, I wouldn't hold my breath, um, but the what I was trying to get at in, in my tweet is is that um, the ships come with a common um, sort of design out out of uh, BAE in, in the UK. Um, Australia will modify that design based on uh, the specific uh, requirements of the RAN and the ADF, uh, such as the um, CEA uh, radar um, and, and others. Canada will do the same thing. Uh, operating in the North Atlantic is different from operating in the uh, South Pacific. And, and there, are, there are just fundamental um, design impacts. Um, but the ships will be mostly common below the waterline, so that's, that's the uh, the hotel services, that's the uh, the prime movers, the electricals, the the uh, 
that kind of thing. But some of the um, some of the sensor and effector solutions um, uh, above the waterline will be different. But at the end of the day, um, in commonality uh, comes um, comes opportunity. So Australian sailors and Canadian sailors and 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 British sailors will be trained on the same systems. Um, that means they can uh, share training courses. Um, there will be a common sort of global supply chain around repair and overhaul. Uh, technical technical courses will be similar. There's a there's a uh, there's an advantage that that comes there, and that's what I was speaking to. Um, and you know that commonality also helps build trust. It helps build um, a common approach to innovation. It also drives, um, I would think, um, uh, a more collaborative approach to identifying some of the uh, research um, uh, problem areas that we might have to drive towards uh, in the future at sea, perhaps. Um, and these ships are being designed to be um, adaptive um, from a mission package perspective through their life cycle. And so as we drive towards um, um, unmanned undersea vehicles and, 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 and the UAV um, capabilities and, and how that will transform um, how naval combat operators and technicians are trained and employed, um, there will be a real uh, opportunity for the, um, these navies to uh, work closer together to, to deal with these problems. And at the end of the day, that, that kind of um, collaboration leads to much more um, a greater depth and interoperability uh, when they operate together. Right, so in a sense, we could perceive research in that model potentially as well, I suppose. We could think about in research that similar models occur in research because it's often better to be working with the lab in the United States or, or the UK on the same problem set and find a way to, to, to collaborate. Um, and uh, well, I mean, just as a breakout quickly, so could you explain what like UAV underwater UAV seems to be a, an emerging threat in in the Pacific? Could you explain to listener what actually that might that is? I mean, I'm, I'm new to it as well, but as a Navy person, you'll understand how this the, what the how the threat operates. Well, um, I, I I don't so much see it as a threat right. as much as I see it as an opportunity for our our own. Um, our own capabilities. So, you know, in anti-submarine warfare uh, or or um, or mine warfare in, in coastal waters, um, you know, the big disruptive uh, uh, technology change in the Cold War was the um, the active and passive uh, sonar-capable helicopter, which also was a weapons carrier and deliverer. Uh, so that allowed um, the range of surveillance around a task group or around a high-value unit, whether it was an aircraft carrier or a replenishment ship um, uh, or a command and control platform uh, to be extended, in, in which you know um, would allow you to detect, um, classify, and if necessary, um, uh, prosecute uh, a submarine contact at range. So uh, bringing um, unmanned... Uh, undersea uh, capab- vehicles in, into the, the new capability equation j- just brings new, um, new ways of doing business, new, new ways of uh, 
bringing uh, sensors, p- passive um, and active, um, into the um, uh, into the the data fusion uh, piece uh, to protect uh, forces and to identify um, potentially hostile um, assets and to uh, then uh, classify them um, and queue a uh, weapons uh, delivery platform um, if and when necessary. Uh, but those capabilities are are, are being developed. Um, I guess that's a bit like the challenge we were talking earlier about the about how would the soldier or the naval officer or whoever be operating in the sense that now we have the challenge of how to... So if you're an F-35 pilot, you know, that's the romantic notion of, um, sorry to any pilots listening, but uh, the romantic notion of, like, the single pilot uh, in a dogfight adversary. But increasingly, they're going to have to be thinking, how do I operate augmented with multiple swarms of um, unmanned uh, vehicles around them, potentially, particularly in Australia's case, to try and create mass or scale um, and it sounds like that's the one I'm familiar with, but now you're describing it an underwater scenario, which is kind of similar in a way. So in a sense, humans are, we're going to have to learn to think about the human operative differently as well as the, as well as the, the technology that they, because I have to learn to less think about an OODA loop of myself and in, in a single pilot or a single officer manning a ship to a much broader how they would function with these other right. data points constantly out right. in the space. So we're, so we're talking about a, a completely networked um, operating environment from, from seabed to space. Right. So, so it's just a, 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 a uh, several layers of, of sensors and um, actors, um, you know, f- from, f- from um, you know, passive arrays to, to, um, to undersea um, uh, sur- surveillance assets, uh, sur- surface and right, right up in, in, into space, um, uh, operating in a in, in a networked way, in in, in which um, a single ship or a single um, aircraft um, or a single um, unit on the ground uh, d- does not have the whole picture, um, but they are contributing to that picture, and um, you know back in the. Uh, 80s or 90s, uh, the, uh, the the USN um, created what they called the cooperative engagement uh, capability, and 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 what that was um, or is um, is is a ship uh, with with a uh, with a long range um, missile capability um, being um, uh, employed remote um, in a sort of a remote command and control sense. To put a weapon onto a target over the horizon that, that they haven't that they have not sensed themselves, right. so so you know you're um, so so, so th- th- that kind of that whole idea um, is is rapidly I think coming into the battle space from a joint perspective and and the, that I think is what um, our folks are trying to get at when they talk about multi-domain operations. Right. It's just you and 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 if MDO is being uh, enabled by um, a sort of a machine learning or augmented intelligence decision cycle um, piece, then, you know, you have all of these sensors in a network, um, all uh, detecting, tracking, classifying from seabed to space, 
uh, prioritizing uh, potential targets and then making uh, um, recommendations as to um, uh, weapons engagement criteria and, and priority of, of weapon systems based on ranges and whatnot. And all that's happening at, at a speed that um, is completely beyond the the, um, the cognitive loop. And this, right. this, this is what I'm trying to right. wrap wrap my mind around. Right. And, and then when you if you if you add to that rather um, interesting mix um, uh, threats that are uh, are um, closing at hypersonic speed, right? And, and and you think of the detect to engage sequence um, in a, a naval or a air or a ground environment, um, it's it's a bit eye watering because because that what that what that leads the future warfighter to is. Um, t- uh, Developing a level of trust in in um, augmented intelligence around um, command and control and weapons engagement um, that basically uh, would allow a, a contact to be detected, classified, um, a weapon assigned, engaged, um, potentially before the accountable human in that command loop um, is aware, and, right. and, and and that and that is. I'm not sure if I characterize that yep. correctly, and, and um, but um, that's something that I, as a former um, uh, a naval commander, uh, I, I think about a lot because uh, there there's so much um, unsaid in, in in that particular right. uh, scenario. And at the end of the day, um, it's human beings that are involved in in these in human conflict. Boy, we're, we're we're driving towards a really interesting future, and and so um, that's why we really need um, we need a lot of research uh, horsepower to, to deal with these problems and, and challenges. And it's not just technical. I mean, what right. I've just talked about uh, around trust, around ethical, um, you know, e- ethical um, integration of of machines and, and humans, um, uh, international law. I mean, there's there's a lot of work being done in those spaces as well, which I'm very interested in. And, and there's, um, there's some pretty um, smart folks here at UNSW that are uh, looking at that as well. So, yeah, like, as you described it, I can see, like, th- it's inevitable that there's no, there's no other way to confront that scale without um, what we would call AI or some au- augmented in, in intelligence in order, because you just can't. If something's hypersonic and there's, like, a swarm and there's no way you can, as a human, go, oh... Because I mean, even think back to the, the conflicts we've discussed earlier about um, Afghanistan, where you sit down around a you know special forces op, you know commander sits around a map and plans an operation. There's absolutely zero time, but that's a human scale sort of decision making, and you work collaboratively with people in ISAF, for example, in that case about how you would order, run a raid or something. But mm. there's no way you could what you're describing. There's no way you could even do that. It'd all be over by the time you even you know got to the map room. So. I guess, like, and you mentioned as a commander that there's makes it sort of keeps you awake at night or makes you think about those things. Like, as a former commander, what is the tip of the spear there for you? Like, what does that mean? What is what are those challenges as apart from the obvious ethical ones of how you make a decision in combat that's about that's connected with legal and like what what comes to mind is how that's going to disrupt everything for you. Well. I, I I think at the end of the day, um, it's in everyone's fundamental interest that um, 
we don't go there. But yeah. we, we, we need to be prepared um, because decisions being made by other actors are, are, are setting the conditions f- for uh, some sort of potential um, uh, conflict. And, and we've been there before. You know, we, we were there twice in world wars. Um, it, the, 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 the stakes and the human potential human cost are almost un, unimaginable. And so, yes, we need to drive towards being prepared um, and to make sure that our men and women in, in uniform um, are enabled um, uh, technically, cognitively, in terms of readiness and, and training to and, and kit to, to engage decisively and, and um, with a competitive advantage and win. But at the, at the end of the day, and this is you know beyond um, um, the, the, the remit of any military commander or uh, individual research uh, lab, but at the end of the day, um, everything needs to be done to influence... Um, behaviors uh, globally that will um, look at the future as an opportunity, to look at these technologies as extraordinary um, gifts uh, that can be applied to improving um, the lot of humanity and, and, and not, as, um, not as tools to uh, disrupt and, and, and do terrible violence. But, um, and, and that's where... Um, Politicians and diplomats and and uh, and and academics and and corporate leaders um, uh, around the world need to continue to engage and and uh, you know we look at G20 unfolding in Osaka and and uh, uh, you know we all hope that um, uh, there will be some positive outcomes, um, but um, this is an interesting an interesting time and. Um, it's an exciting time um, for all of us here at the uh, at UNSW in Sydney and here in Canberra, and uh, uh, I look forward to um, enabling and facilitating um, more um, positive outcomes for the research community here at the university, and and ultimately um, delivering more capability for um, our defense forces and. When I say our defense forces, of course, I'm speaking of, of the ADF, but in my view, um, given how closely um, allied, uh, integrated, interoperable are the, um, are the militaries of Canada, Australia, United States, UK, uh, New Zealand, and, and, and other important allies um, regionally and, and in Europe, um, uh, I think any advance um, in any one of those places is an advance for us all. Great. Well, look, I think that's a terrific way to close the loop on the discussion. So thank you very much uh, for your time today. Thanks, Tom. It's a great discussion. Cheers. Have a great day. That's this week's episode of Password123. Don't forget to join me next fortnight for another episode. And for more information, just Google UNSW Canberra Cyber. I'm Tom Sear. Thanks for listening.